it's me, Em, and this is We Search episode two. I just wanted to say thank you again for the overwhelming support and enthusiasm over my first episode. It really means the world, and there were so many times where all I could do was respond to people with happy cry gifts because that's really where I was. Something that I've had written in my notes from the beginning of this show that I really want to drive home is that it's okay to not know everything. All experts started by learning the basics and finding a passion for it. This could be you too. I also want to use this moment to point out that we're always learning. I'm really trying my best to educate myself on these topics and I still get things wrong. With this subject and really any other subject that deals with understanding and helping people, I'm really trying my best to be a good listener and resource. And I acknowledge that I'm coming from a place of privilege when I went out to make this episode because of the fact that I've had very little interaction with special education and developmentally disabled individuals. I'm trying my best to learn, but I encourage those of you who might know more to help weigh in if I get something wrong. I want to be able to share the best information that I can to help others learn too. So this week on WeSearch, I sat down with Sarah Maloney. She's the director of the Collaboration, Employment, and Education Synergy Program within the Office of Advancement and Transition Services at the University of Cincinnati. Sarah is a sweet angel that I met at a photo shoot and then gently stalked and befriended on social media afterwards. She's the kind of person who makes you feel good about yourself through her listening and genuine compliments. And getting to spend an hour with her in her office at UC's School of Education was the most refreshing and wonderful boost of self-confidence and excitement that I needed in my life. So we talked about transition services, disabilities, positive interventions, self-worth, accessibility, being a positive resource, and so much more on this episode of WeSearch. For sitting down with me. <laughs> you're welcome. And you're very professional office. Oh, thank you. Um, so would you mind introducing yourself and telling everyone who you are? Yeah. So I, my name is Sarah Maloney and I'm 26. I'm about to be 27. And I, let's see, I went to Ohio University for college and then I got my degree in special education. So that kind of led me here. I taught at a middle school a super, super rural middle school for five years. Um, so this is just like a completely different <laughs> situation altogether, and I love it. But it was sixth graders, okay. which is like the best age ever. <laughs> People are always like, I can't believe you work with middle schoolers. Yeah, and it's like... They're amazing. They're perfect. It's not as like dramatic, is it? No, I mean, they're, they have their dramas, but it's like such insignificant <laughs> dramas that it doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's wonderful. <laughs> and they can laugh and you that. can joke with them. And now that I'm in working with high schoolers it's like even more so you can be super sarcastic and yeah like, I love it um that's, that's really it that's all I have okay so what what do you actually do now because I know you just shifted gears I know so what is your like actual position title okay so I, 
it's kind of like two different titles. Okay. So I'm the director of high school programming at UC, but that kind of transfers to the director of a program called CIS, which is mm-hmm. what I do. So that's the Collaboration for Employment and Education Synergy. Super easy to remember. <laughs> um, and so basically I run this program. It's like a year-round program. We take okay. like breaks as colleges take breaks or as this college takes breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I do. Nice. <laughs> so what is like the education employment synergy? What What yeah. is that? So basically we are trying to marry the two concepts of preparing individuals with disabilities for transitioning into adulthood. Mm-hmm. So employment is such a huge part of growing up mm-hmm. and even general education students have a hard time with that. Mm -hmm. So we focus a lot on putting together the teaching aspect of like how to reach goals, how Uh to self-analyze, things like that, and then transfer that to the workplace. It's really interesting, I think. (laughs) Of course I do. Yeah. So in your like job description, Mm -hmm. I know that you do what are called transition services. Mm -hmm. So would you mind just like explaining to me what those are? So anytime a student is on an IEP, so an individualized education plan, the time that they turn 16, they have to have transition goals. So just something to get them from public high school or whatever high school to I'm an adult now. Um, So those can be like super simple goals about like, we're going to do mock interviews or Mm -hmm. a survey or something like that. Um, But it's also the time when students have access to their own IEPs. Like, a lot of kids don't know that they have an IEP at all. They just realize that they're in a different class or something. Okay. But this is the time where they get to actually collaborate on their own IEP, which is super Uh powerful. So they can decide, like, I don't want to work on my job skills. I want to work on Mm -hmm. my independent living skills or something like that. Yeah. Um, And, of course, we all transition every day, all day. But we just put a lot of emphasis on it here. That's really great. <laughs> um, so who are these, stu- like, what are these services for and mm-hmm. who do they involve? Is it, like, very collaborative with the students' high schools and the college? Or Such a good question. <laughs> this is, like, the part that I'm still sort of figuring out, but we communicate with 10-plus districts. So these students okay. are coming in from different districts um, all across Cincinnati. And we had a kid, not kid, we had an individual this summer from Columbus. So it really doesn't matter where you're coming from. Um, So they come to us and then like I coordinate with the school districts to figure Mm -hmm. out what days, how many. The application process is a long process. So that's kind of Mm -hmm. difficult. But once they're here, it's really, really cool because you see kind of, I mean, we treat them like adults. We don't treat them like they're in high school. So I think it's a different experience for them. So yeah, I don't even know if I answered your question, but (laughs) I said it. No worries. Um, so could like anyone apply to be in this program or is it only specific students? It has to, you have to be designated as someone with a developmental or intellectual disability. Okay. Um, and a lot of times like your school will, or their school will, um, Mm -hmm. kind of recommend them to the program because a lot of schools around here know about it. But Mm -hmm. like we've had single students with their parents, like their parents will pay out of pocket for them to come to this. Yeah. So we really, as long as you're on an IP, 14 to 21, you've not graduated yet, and you have a developmental disability. Cool. (laughs) So how did you, like, discover this? How did you get into (laughs) helping, like, working in special education and then moving into helping people with 
that like receive special education kind of transition to a new phase of their life? So like my mom taught special ed my whole life. She okay. retired at like 35 years or something. And I always, like, as soon as I got to college, I said, I'm not going to do special ed because I am not my mother. But I had spent, like, years volunteering. I don't know if you know yeah. Stepping Stones or it's like a... Would you mind explaining? Yeah, it's a day camp. Um, okay. Like, in the summer. I think they do it in the fall, too, but I'm not sure. But I would volunteer there, and it's specifically for individuals with disabilities. And okay. it is so great and fun and, like, <laughs> inclusive. Yeah. Stepping Stones is a nonprofit that serves the Southwest Ohio area and seeks to increase independence for children and adults with disabilities through day and overnight camps and weekend programming. People of all ages, regardless of ability, are encouraged to participate. Through their programming, Stepping Stones allows individuals with disabilities to experience the fun of traditional summer camps and alternatives to education that they may have otherwise not been able to. For more information, you can visit steppingstonesohio.org. So I think I got into college and I was speech and language pathology, which okay. was very science heavy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not a science person at all. Yeah. So then I just like, I changed my major halfway through my freshman year to special ed because, frankly, because a lot of the courses mm-hmm. would transfer. But then as soon as I was in... <laughs> the program it was just like you're like this is it I was lucky honestly yeah fit because I was that's amazing kind of just taking a stab in the dark yeah so you just said that you you work alongside a lot of different school districts Mm -hmm. uh like to coordinate all of this but what are really your responsibilities with both like the school districts and with the students themselves Mm -hmm. so as far as the school district goes it's super straightforward I get the data I get the IEPs I get Mm -hmm. the applications and then I send them, like, updates in the middle of the semester and then at the end of the semester so they can see, like, is my student making any progress kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, But other than that, I'm pretty detached from them. What was the second part? Um, Uh, I already forgot. And then, like, what – Oh, here. Yeah, what do you do, like, with the students? What's your role with them? It's so cool. So we've got this (laughs) – the summer program is a little bit different than the fall program, but basically – here, I can show you a schedule. Okay. Basically what we do – is the students arrive. So, oh, I'm sorry. You're good. So students arrive. We do our morning meeting downstairs. So that's basically just Mm -hmm. like check in, how are we feeling today? Let's do some communication, all that. They go to their internship, which is like the holy grail of this program. (laughs) It's the coolest. There's just like, I mean, all of those are supports for internships. So we've got 20 plus that just like love our students and want to help. And it's so, so and like some people (laughs) in the internships are natural supports. So Mm -hmm. they're like, they know what to do to help our students, which yeah. is so cool. Okay, we go to lunch. So we eat lunch in the TUC. We do an hour of classroom instruction, which can vary between, like, mm-hmm. self-determination versus communication, just depending on okay. what we want to do. And then buses. So they're only here from 9 to 1. Oh, that's kind of nice. It's really nice. So are they here, like, is it once a week or are they here every yeah. day? So each district has a specific day that they come. Okay. I know, like, one of our districts comes twice, but other than that, they're very, like, regimented. Mm-hmm. Which is different than the summer program. They came three days out of the week. Okay. Just like the whole time. But it's not a huge change. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a collaboration with Communication and Science Disorders Department. Okay. And I've got three student <laughs> teachers that like I mentor here. Okay. So they really what I'm doing is facilitating. Okay. And they are, I'm helping them provide interventions. I'm helping them, they're learning basically okay. how to be a teacher. Yeah. So I'm guiding them in that, but I'm also available 
at all times to be like, try these interventions. Maybe you need to modify yeah. this. And <laughs> and just like making sure when they're planning their lessons, it's following a, the curriculum that we have in place. Yeah. And it's really interesting because we do these like reflections, I guess, mm-hmm. every day. It's like a debrief of what we've yeah. done. But it's like the most interesting thing to watch these individuals like learn as they go. It's so yeah. cool because they're just like <laughs> not afraid. By like the fourth or fifth week, they're not afraid to like jump in with suggestions yeah. and that's exactly what we want. Oh, that's so great. So it's really cool because I just feel like I'm facilitating something. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. <laughs> so like what are their internship responsibilities? Mm-hmm. So like are they, you know, helping out people who work on UC's campus or are they like filing stuff? Like what yeah. What roles do they so fill? It's so many. Like USGS is right there. Okay. And I forget what it stands for, but it's something with the government. <laughs> United States Geological something. U.S. Geological Survey? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, that's oh it. Oh my gosh. That okay. was excellent. That was totally a guess. That was really good. USGS is the United States Geological Survey. It's a science research agency that's under the U.S. Department of the Interior that looks into not only the geology of the United States, but the natural resources, hazards, geography, biology, and hydrology within it. So all of the information collected by the agency is in the public domain, which means that anyone can access both current and historical data that's been scanned in by volunteers like Sarah's interns. USGS really relies on citizen scientists and volunteer workers to input data. So you can find out more about volunteering with them at usgs.gov. But they learn to go through the steps of scanning files, enhancing files, saving them to folders. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like at USGS, they go to bio and it's a similar process, but it's with plant specimens, uh-huh. which is really interesting. And then like in the food court, some of them are on um, DRA, which is like dining room assistant. Maybe? Okay. And so they're like straightening tables, cleaning, pushing in chairs, mm-hmm. picking up salt stuff. But like we do have people who are like making bread. Mm-hmm. in the bakery and yeah. like landscaping outside and things like that. So mm-hmm. really they're doing jobs that already exist within UC uh-huh. and just helping. They're helping. Okay. It's really cool. Yeah. No, that's really great. So they have like a thing that they know once, like once they learn it, they have a thing that they know that they go to. Exactly. And like we create these um, like checklists basically. And a lot of them are visual, like this one is a visual one. Yeah. um, That the students can take with them in their little Uh binders just so that it's something to refer to because the steps can be like really extensive, Mm -hmm. especially with something like that. That could be up to 30 steps in one because you have to break it down so much. Uh Uh-huh. But they know exactly after a couple of days they know what they're doing. That's so cool. I know. What's a task analysis? Sarah uses task analyses to break down schedules and instructions for her students in the ways that are best for them to accomplish the tasks without any guesswork. This means going through an activity and taking down step-by-step instructions and maybe even breaking down those instructions even further. A lot of people use task analyses in different ways. Uh, I personally have used them in my design experience because it's a better way to understand how people interact with something like an app. It really helps you to figure out every minute detail and how you can work to make every step of the process better. Sarah's doing a very similar thing where she is actually 
making every step of the process as easy as possible for the students that she's working with. So, okay, I'm just gonna like explain like the, the schedule that you showed me and the checklist, mm -hmm. they have step numbers, the instructions and pictures. So is finding like ways to communicate something that you spend a lot of time thinking through? Yeah, constantly. Like, yeah, um, we use a lot of, this <laughs> seems a little childish, but we use a ton of dry erase boards. Yeah. Um, like each student in an ideal situation would have one that we could use. Mm -hmm. And so that is our schedule, but sometimes we need to break it down further. So like if uh -huh. we have a student who thrives on knowing his transition times, uh -huh. then we're going to put like, put on backpack, push it, like get out of chair, push in chair, walk to, like be mm -hmm. very specific with it. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't work for every student. Mm -hmm. And so we have students that use like touch chat on the iPad. Uh-huh. And that is a whole new realm for me. I've never had a student <laughs> use that before. So I'm learning about that. But it is like, I feel like a lot of what we do is nonverbal communication. It's a lot okay. of gesturing. It's a lot of, we don't want to force anyone to do anything. So we yeah. are prompting them in whatever way we can. But communication yeah. is huge. That's why we brought in the communication and science disorders. Uh -huh. Because they really have the strategies to intervene and help. Yeah. Help us and help <laughs> the student teachers and everybody, honestly. That's really great. That's so. Cool. Yeah, so are you just constantly innovating on, like, different ways yeah. to communicate and coming Absolutely. up with new ways if somebody's struggling? Yeah, it, that's why I like this job is when I was teaching, it, it felt like I was doing the exact same thing every single day yeah. in my little room and I didn't have any access to anything. Whereas here, it's just like you are presented with something new mm -hmm. every five seconds, it feels yeah. like. And I, I think it's really teaching me to think on my feet better, which is uh -huh. cool. But yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so cool that it's like, since the university is so big, you have all of those resources yeah, and all of those experts incredible. like at your fingertips. It's That's truly so amazing. nice. And I've got like my mentor that is just like a genius. It's insane. <laughs> but he has been really helpful with that aspect, the communication aspect. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So changing gears a little bit, mm -hmm. let's talk about your research. What are you trying to learn or like actually learning mm -hmm. from all of this? My biggest, like, takeaway is the self-determination piece, which mm -hmm. is, like, taking control of your own life, learning yeah. how to make decisions for you. Because a lot – it's very unfortunate, but a lot of people with developmental or intellectual disabilities mm -hmm. are told exactly what to do at all, yeah. you know, because it's, it's easier that way. Yeah. You know, you have a schedule, you follow your schedule, you mm -hmm. eat at this time, and you go to bed. Yeah. But as you grow up, like, as a kid, maybe that'll work. Mm -hmm. But as you're growing and maturing, your goals get bigger, your life gets bigger, your environment mm -hmm. gets bigger. So my biggest thing is what can we do to help these individuals really be empowered to take control of their life, mm -hmm. to make decisions for themselves? So that's what I focus on most of the time, if I can, yeah. when I'm not doing like the background <laughs> scheduling stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... What does all of that research look like for you? Is So, like, I know you said that you get data from the school districts. Yeah. And then you're, like, talking to people and trying to figure out new strategies. So, like, what – do you have, like, a certain process that you take to, to learn? Or is it kind of like you're on your toes learning all yeah. the time? A little bit of both. I think when I first started teaching, like, years ago, 
I put a lot of stock into like the IEP, the data mm-hmm. that I was given, and I would read it like all at once, but I hadn't met the student yet. Yeah. So it's really hard to compare data to to the actual reality of what the student yeah. is. So I've kind of taken a step back from that, um, looking at those first. I try to meet the student first to make my own mm-hmm. judgments based on what I'm seeing. And a lot of what I do is, I would say, in the field, practicing and learning that way. Yeah. But I also, I mean, my boss is incredible and super brilliant. She wrote this. So I read that when I first started. Mm-hmm. And this is like, this is specific to students on the spectrum. Okay. But it's like evidence-based practices are what I need to learn about. But I want them to be furthering the goal of mm-hmm. self-empowerment, if that makes any sense. So yeah. When I read through this, it really breaks everything down. It's just so interesting. and Yeah. So Sarah recommends evidence-based practice for students with ASD, a classroom observation tool for building quality education by Dr. Christine R. Carnahan and Dr. Karen Elisa Lowry. So what is evidence-based practice? It's when a doctor, nurse, educator, or other person integrates the best research evidence with their own expertise and the values of the patient. Evidence-based practice works to give an individual the best services and care for them that reflects their interests, values, goals, and needs. It's an individually centered method of care, so it constantly evolves through research, practice, and what someone needs. So this is becoming a more and more common method of working for a lot of healthcare professionals, therapists, and teachers because it seeks to provide the best care for everyone involved. A lot of people in these fields use these integrated methods as a basis for research and on-the-ground learning. So this might be the first time you hear this term, but it won't be the last. And you probably have already had some experience working with evidence-based practice without even realizing it. Overall, I would say it's in the field is where I'm getting my, and by field, I just mean out with the students. Yeah. Like in their internships and. Yeah. Oh, and it, it obviously helps that I'm on such a collaborative team. Yeah. Because our research just overlaps constantly, everything we're doing. Like yeah. one of our associates, I guess, is doing her own language study right now. And it's okay. so interesting. And like, she'll share her data with us mm-hmm. and then decide like, can we use this in any way? It's just really interesting. Yeah. 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 So you're. You're using a lot of, like, I would say more qualitative data then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Because even when we're taking data with the students, like, mm-hmm. we have five or six different types of data that we collect, but it uh-huh. is, like, it's not number-based. Yeah. It, it can be, but it's about work skills mm-hmm. and, you know, do they have their shirt tucked in, do they have their hair brushed today? Yeah. And, like, working on self-determination, did they make a choice today? Did they not make a choice today? So mm-hmm. it's, the data that I'm collecting is more qualitative. Yeah. But everything, I mean, data is everything. Like, yeah. I, my mom, when I was, a, when I was like an intervention specialist, uh-huh. she made me like a six pack of beer <laughs> and they all said data driven to drink. And it was just like my favorite <laughs> thing ever because every teacher in general yeah. knows that like data can ruin your life. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> there's so much of it and you have to just learn how to take it in and know yeah. what it means. Yeah. Which is a lot. Yeah. So, thanks, Mom, for those beers. <laughs> I love that. She's funny. She gets it. She is on it. She really is. Um, so, when you collect that data on mm-hmm. the students, are you talking to them about, like, 
so did you meet this goal? Or are you getting that from, like, observation and the people working with them saying, like, oh, so-and-so did this or didn't do this? It's kind of a combination, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'm not with all – there's 50 students all together. Because I'm not with them all the time, Mm -hmm. I do have to put a lot of weight into the staff that's working with them, Mm -hmm. put a lot of trust into them. Yeah. Um, But I forgot your question. Um, I'm so sorry. Are you, like, getting the information from, like, talking to the students Um, one-on-one or, like, from other people? So a lot of it comes from the class time as well. So Mm -hmm. it's super – it's a structured time, but it has unstructured times. Uh So you can have that time to talk to a student. So if they set, like, a larger goal, we Mm -hmm. don't really say, like, did you reach your goal until week 12 when we're finally, like, finishing everything. But – I think it's important to take them into consideration just like you would with anybody. Check in with them and show them the data that you're collecting. Uh I feel like a lot of times there's this like secrecy around it. Yeah. But it's, it's them. It's what they're doing. Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like it's important to be like, okay, here's how many times you said no yesterday. Let's Mm -hmm. try to bring that number down today. So that's like, yeah, it's everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Totally fair. I feel like a lot of people are kind of not necessarily, like, afraid to engage with people who have intellectual disabilities, but um, how would you, like, give people advice on how to, like, approach that? Yeah. Honestly, the best advice I could give, and it sounds a little blunt, Mm -hmm. but it's just, like, treat them like a person. Yeah. But I, I, I completely understand yeah, people that aren't around individuals with disabilities and how it can be mm-hmm. very uncomfortable and it's new for you. And, yeah, but I think it's important. Something that I did as a child <laughs> because it was uncomfortable for me when I was a kid yeah. is think about. My mom taught me this. She was like, "Okay, think about what they like to do for fun, mm-hmm. and if you can kind of picture them doing something that they would enjoy, it somehow makes it seem a little less foreign." Yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. I think, but. Mm-hmm. I would just approach them like you would approach anybody else Mm -hmm. because that is like in the grand scheme of things, they're also a person. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly right. And it, it, it's very hurtful for them. I'm sure when people treat them differently, but I think it's hard for me to say like, this is the advice I would give Yeah. because it is simply just treat them like you would treat anybody. Uh And it's also like be willing to work with them be willing to be flexible like if they can't say their name or say hello back Mm -hmm. you know do a high five yeah something like that okay work with what they've got so do you mainly do research for your work or are you like also doing trying to learn new things outside of work both for sure (laughs) instagram has been like a huge (laughs) thing for me Uh because i've gotten super into because of this Mm -hmm. I, i notice a lot and just my own life i notice a lot of differences with accessibility Mm-hmm. So I've gotten really into, like, what are spaces doing to be accessible? <laughs> what, are, what are clothing brands doing to be accessible yeah. and sustainable? And so it's kind of led into this, like... So Sarah and I also talked about what some of her favorite Instagrams are to find out more about accessibility and sustainable lifestyles. Um, and a lot of those came out of her desire to learn more about living with disabilities. So a few of the accounts on Instagram that she recommends following are Natasha Lipman at wheelie underscore good underscore time. 
Megan Hill, and Izzy Wheels. And I do a lot of research on – I didn't even finish my thought. <laughs> I do a lot of research on, like, this culture of productivity that we live uh-huh. in because I feel – it's yeah. hard. I mean, we feel it. Yeah. If yeah. I don't work for a day, I feel terrible. Mm-hmm. But it's like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Why, how does it apply to an individual with a disability? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people just assume that they cannot work. Yeah. So I think they're seen as maybe less productive, less valuable. Obviously, mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. But because of this culture we live in, I feel like that's kind of where we're at. And it's – I hate it. It's really sad. But I just – Yeah. So if we're going to get real here for a moment um, – Equating productivity and self-worth is something that I definitely struggle with, and I know a lot of people also struggle with this. I think that's something that came out for me as I was graduating and moving on from the fact that I spent a lot of my life in high school and in college centering my time around being involved and having something to do. It really became an issue to me once I had graduated and no longer had that. Something that I keep hearing and seeing more and more about is the fact that if we're not constantly busy, we're not doing anything of value, and I just do not agree with that. I think it really is detrimental to our idea of our self-worth, and taking time to take care of yourself is really, really important to me and to a lot of people, and I encourage you to take a moment and think about how much of your perceived value of yourself is based on whether or not you're doing work or you're creating something good. For more information about this, I'm going to link a couple of articles that I read about this um, because it is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. So there's a good amount of information out there about this. I also recommend reading a book that I've been meaning to read myself, um, which is How to Not Always Be Working, A Toolkit for Creativity and Radical Self-Care by Marley Grace. Uh, I'm going to link that as well in the show notes along with all of these articles. It's a book filled with practical advice on how to build boundaries between your work, your job, and your life, and essentially create a positive change that divorces you from the fact that you don't always have to be working. I just want to learn. I want to, if I had like the perfect answer, it'd be <laughs> to like, I, I would love to just like be them for a day. Yeah. And that, I mean, every, it would just give you so much insight. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Can't do that though. <laughs> Has learning more kind of changed the way that you interpret your own productivity and self mm. self worth? Like Such balance. A good question. <laughs> Dang, Em. <laughs> you know, maybe in like a subconscious way. I don't yeah. know that I've really made that connection. Yeah. But it is super. Like, it makes me want to like fight against that idea, of course. So anytime I see something or hear something about productivity and being productive, it's just like I think about it and I'm like, well, I was productive because I showered today. So I'm trying really hard to look at things like that. And especially like for the individuals that we serve, focusing on the small things. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. Yeah. So I do look at it differently. I think I've expanded my thoughts a little bit on what it is to be productive. Yeah. Which is good. (laughs) So, 
a lot of audience questions. I know. I looked at those oh this God. morning and I was like, what? Okay. So Anissa asked, what does your day-to-day look like? Okay. So we it's different every day, but we do mm-hmm. have a schedule that we follow. So like I said earlier, they're here from 9 to 1. Mm-hmm. We do morning meeting, internship, um, lunch, classroom, and then they go home. Mm-hmm. So that part is set in place. Yeah. Um, but I'm – so our staff is working with individual students. So mm-hmm. – or groups of students. Okay. And I'm floating across campus, uh-huh. basically. So during internship time, I'm running back and forth. <laughs> if I can get to, you know, eight or nine of them in an hour, that's great. But it yeah. doesn't often happen. Yeah. Um, and then during class time, the student teachers do the teaching, and I'm facilitating mm-hmm. and supporting and providing interventions and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then after that, so I I work from eight to four, so there's a couple okay. extra hours in there. Yeah. So after students leave, we do a debrief, mm-hmm. and that's really just to get them thinking and and mm-hmm. how can I improve how can I adjust things like mm-hmm. that and that's for our student teachers and our CSD yeah. students um and then once once four o'clock hits they're done I'm done and go home <laughs> but a lot of my day is honestly spent communicating with districts and parents okay because they are high schoolers so yeah it's I'm <laughs> sure it's hard for parents to be like I'm gonna send my kid to a college campus yeah so I do I do a little bit of like comforting yeah and like reassuring <laughs> hand holding exactly and I mean we have parents come in early and, and like tour the campus with us so uh-huh. like a couple days before it starts which is totally understandable yeah but we really only stick to like right here okay unless they're going somewhere really far for their internship yeah which I don't think they are yeah um yeah so just implementing interventions and running around like a crazy person mm-hmm. that's my day <laughs> I love it because they're high school mm-hmm. students on a college campus mm-hmm. do you treat them as if they're, like, adults or are they still, like, these are high schoolers and we're going to treat them like high schoolers? Yeah, that's a really hard line to, to yeah. walk, honestly, <laughs> because it's terrifying when you're out there in on the campus and yeah. they could do anything yeah. I, and anybody could do anything to them. Yeah. So it's just, like, a really exposed feeling. But I think <laughs> I feel like I probably treat them more like adults than I do uh-huh. high schoolers because they're here. And they're here to work and they're here to do class. So I feel like, and they respond better to it because a lot of times (laughs) people take that tone when you're talking to somebody with a disability and it can seem really condescending. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, treating them as as the adults that they are. Yeah. Unless they're like 15. Yeah. Then I I would rather do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great question. So what is the most, one of the most rewarding Mm -hmm. parts of your job? I have so many. It's just not. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, is your job respectful of your work-life health balance? I loved that question. Yeah, I'm like, that's such a good question for anyone. Honestly, it is. And, yes, this is such a forgiving position in the sense that, like, I have time to do work here. Mm -hmm. I'm not with students 100% of the time. So, Mm -hmm. if I need to create a visual, I can come back here and do it. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, in a... Not in every school, but in the school that I was in, it was super structured. Mm-hmm. You'd, you're with your students 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. So then any work that you need to do is done at home or it's done. So mm-hmm. you could stay at school until 8 o'clock at night working. Ugh. So that does not do good things for your mental health or yeah. your social life for that matter. Mm-hmm. So this is like <laughs> so much more freedom than I've ever had with yeah. a position. I'm lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very like hard stop at four. I mean, I could usually... It's different right now because I don't have my staff. So, yeah. like, right now I could – I don't have to be here. I could yeah. stay till 4. I could stay till 3.45. Like yeah. It's a little more flexible. 
But once we have staff, like the debrief time might only go till 2.30. And if that's the case, then they can go. And yeah. then I have some extra hours to work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, super forgiving. So nice. It is nice. <laughs> so does UC specifically continue to support these students through college and after as well? Like, are they only being supported by UC in the like one semester that they're here or does UC help them onto the next steps? Yeah. So once they finish their 12 week semester here, mm-hmm. we are, I, this is going to sound so blunt again, but we're, we're basically done with that. Student. Yeah. But we create support plans that we send to the districts mm-hmm. and uh, the parents that is like, okay, here's what we've done this summer. Here's the data we collected mm-hmm. from here. This is what we think could help. Yeah. So it's kind of just an extension mm-hmm. of transition services. But so I work for Advancement Transition Services. Okay. And under that umbrella is CEASE, which is me, IMPACT, which is right next door, and then TAP. Okay. So IMPACT is for adults with disabilities. Okay. So technically, if, you know, they graduate high school and they want to be here, mm-hmm. they could apply for that program. Yeah. So it's not necessarily like one and done because we yeah. have students that come back again and again and again. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, it's not – we don't have, like, a responsibility to them because yeah. they're not our student, mm-hmm. UC student. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like a you, – you can't follow up with them individually, but, like, if they choose to follow up with you, then it keeps going. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then do the students receive financial support? This is, like, the most loaded question of all time. Okay. But no, not through us. Okay. So the school districts, like their home school districts, are tasked with paying for mm-hmm. them. Um, we kind of run like a nonprofit okay. under UC, and we don't. If we could fund it, we would. Mm-hmm. Um, so parents can also pay for it, but no parent wants to pay. I've had like two. Yeah. It's a lot of money. I think it's, it's 1200 per student. Okay. So that's a good bit of money. Yeah. Um, but so let's say... There are different ways you can receive funding. It's kind of like Medicaid, um, like the Department of Developmental Disabilities might step in in Mm -hmm. some way. And then you've got like, if it's like a foster care situation and Mm -hmm. they're homeschooled or something, they don't technically have a home district. It gets really confusing. Yeah. So the short answer is we do not provide financial support, but they can get it elsewhere. Okay. Yeah. What do you think are some of the biggest barriers that students face when they're coming into this program? Frankly, the campus itself, how mm-hmm. sprawling it is, and it's not the most accessible. It's, it's really not accessible, and it's like a lot of these students have not been exposed to this kind of environment. Mm-hmm. So, like in a classroom situation, mm-hmm. you've got walls around you; you're protected. Yeah. This feels super scary and exposed. Yeah. So, I think that might be a barrier for me. Yeah. Um, I think it's a barrier for anyone who's yeah. entering And you can a new see it, like, on their faces yeah. when they get here. It's really overwhelming. Yeah. But I also think one of the biggest challenges for them is setting a goal, honestly. Yeah. Like, a goal that they want. Because it's just so easy to be like, well, what do you want me to do? Because yeah. that's what they've done their whole life. Yeah. So I think for them, growing into that empowerment is the uh-huh. hardest thing. But hopefully they can do it. I mean, that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then what action can we take, whether it's political, personal, spending our money in different places to, like, help support these students in these programs? I love that question. Um, we love donations. So 
we need different things at different times of the year. Uh-huh. So like coming up into fall, we're going to need candy. So if you want to donate candy, we would, yeah, we would love that. <laughs> um, and like binders, folders, all that stuff. Uh-huh. But if you're ever, like if anybody's ever interested in donating, just like reach out to ATS or me or somebody yeah. and we can tell you what we need at that time. Uh-huh. Um, and just like in a personal way, mm-hmm. advocating for individuals with disabilities for their mm-hmm. advocate for their access to living a fulfilled life, whatever that looks like. So mm-hmm. whether that means encouraging someone to put their child in a program because it mm-hmm. might lead to bigger things for them or just like talking to somebody with a developmental disability, just like yeah. helping them live their most empowered life. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever <laughs> you can do for that. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> And then, do you have, Anissa also wanted to know if you have Mm. any anecdotes about students' interests or career aspirations and, like, the the journeys that they've taken? Like, do you have any, like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of this student? I just about, this, it seems like not a good thing, but it is. So we had a student, nonverbal and young, 15. Okay. So I think he was our youngest, who wanted, he set his goal to go to Target and buy a drink, Mm -hmm. which is great. But the steps to get there, you know, navigating to Target, crossing the street, giving mm-hmm. the cashier money, all that stuff is a lot. Mm-hmm. So we worked for like three or four weeks on that goal. And so he navigated himself to Target with only one prompt, which is amazing. But then we got there and he didn't he didn't want to buy his drink. He used his touch chat to say, I'm feeling anxious, mm-hmm. which is huge. Like that mm-hmm. for me was – yeah. The epitome, I'd rather him do that than buy his drink because he was listening to what his body was saying. He communicated that to us Mm -hmm. and it was just like such a moment. Yeah. It was great. But then you've also got like one of my students set a goal to type 32 words a minute or something like that. And I was like, what a great goal. Like, (laughs) let's work on that. I can't even do that. (laughs) I can't type. I'm a horrible typer. Yeah. But he goes up to the computer and he types like 50 words in a minute. I was like, (laughs) student. You can't set a goal for something you've already done. But, like, it opened up this uh-huh. – my eyes a little bit because yeah. it was, like, he knew that I was asking him to set a goal. He knew it would be work. So he <laughs> did something. It was just such a funny moment for me. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, my God. I loved it. I love it. That's – I feel like that's such a wholesome it was so teen weird. thing, too. It was. Like, anybody would try to get away yeah. with that. And, of course, yeah. his support staff was, like, great job. Like, let's type more. And I was, like, no, no, no. We're setting a new goal. <laughs> he doesn't need work on this. Michelle asked, how is it different with with working with students who are younger, like K-8, to mm-hmm. and older in high school or above? And if you're diagnosed with a disability at an older age, does the approach to teaching that student differ from people who are diagnosed at a younger age? It's very interesting. Um, I mean, the differences are pretty minimal, to be honest. Mm-hmm. They have different interests because they're older. Yeah. Um, they're bigger, which is kind of – I'm a small person, so it's a little <laughs> weird sometimes. Um, and then just, like, developmental stages. What's appropriate mm-hmm. for a sixth grader versus a high school senior or something like yeah. that. Um, and I think fo- focusing more as they get older on these – less on the academic skills, more on life mm-hmm. skills. So okay. I think that's the biggest difference because when I was teaching sixth grade, it was almost mm-hmm. completely academic. Okay. Whereas this is not. And then I don't have any personal experience with somebody mm-hmm. diagnosed at an older age, but just from what I'm 
imagining. Early intervention is the best mm-hmm. way to to do anything, yeah. anything. Like, yeah. So we encourage people to get into intervention programs as soon as you're diagnosed. So like three, early mm-hmm. intervention, amazing. It just creates a much smoother transition. Mm-hmm. So I definitely feel like the approach would be different, but I just don't know what that would look like. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then like, does the work that you do change depending on like the developmental stage that someone's in? Yes, definitely. So I could create, like, if it's one job, if it's landscaping, and I've mm-hmm. got 10 different kids with 10 different developmental stages, mm-hmm. I could create 10 different visual supports, you know? Okay. So that's, it's interesting, because you might create this incredible, like, visual task analysis, mm-hmm. and it will not work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think taking that into consideration mm-hmm. changes the job a lot. Yeah. Yeah. While all children grow and develop differently, developmental stages are specific milestones in a child's physical and cognitive growth. You might be familiar with them if you've ever bought a toy for a child and seen the recommended age range on the packaging. They represent what a child at a specific age is able to do. So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, has resources available on their website for learning what all of these milestones are and what resources to go to if you, as a parent or guardian, are worried about the development of your child. Why are these milestones important to keep track of? It may help to inform specialists on whether or not the child has an intellectual disability and the best intervention methods to support them. The CDC put out a fact sheet on intellectual disabilities, what they are, and what the signs are that your child may have one. They define them as when there are limits to a person's ability to learn at an expected level and function in daily life. If intellectual disabilities, learning disorders, or speech and language disorders are something that worry you about your child, consult their pediatrician because they can do a developmental screening and evaluation in order to determine if there is a problem and what interventions can be made. Some of the most common signs of an intellectual disability include sitting up, crawling, or walking later than other children, learning to talk later, or having trouble speaking, having trouble remembering things, having trouble understanding social rules, having trouble seeing the results of their actions, or having trouble solving problems. As Sarah said earlier, it's a good idea to get help and find positive interventions from as young of an age as possible so that the child has as many opportunities to succeed as possible. How do people with developmental disabilities choose jobs or careers when their options are slightly more limited, Mm -hmm. especially depending on their developmental stage? That was a really interesting question, Um, and I want to be careful with how I answer this. Okay. So... Like I said, planting that seed of transitioning kind mm-hmm. of early. So whether that's, um, you know, whether that is a transition program or mm-hmm. just an early intervention program, starting uh-huh. it as early as possible. And obviously the longer skills worked on, the better an individual becomes at that skill. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so important. Yeah. Um, in, let's say this is a hypothetical, okay? Mm-hmm. The first thing that you're going to want to do is – some sort of like interest inventory. Mm-hmm. So like what what is this person like? What are yeah. their strengths? What kind of strengths would they bring to a job? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've I mean there are hundreds and hundreds of ways that you could do that. Mm-hmm. But then af- after that start, you know, do that assessment, do whatever you need to do, but mm-hmm. then just be in job situations. So seek out 
places that would hire a person with a developmental disability. Mm-hmm. How do they do? The thing that I feel like a lot of people forget is like, yes, get the job. Awesome. But then mm-hmm. it's like twice as much work from that point on. Yeah. You need, I mean, the way we do it here, I really like. Mm-hmm. We are there to provide supports. We are there to make sure that they're doing what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of weeks, that will, they'll know exactly what yeah. they need to do. But you, I feel like a lot of times the job is, you know, given or gotten and mm-hmm. then everything else kind of goes away when you need yeah. to just stick with it and really like yeah, help. You need to help. And then there are like mm-hmm. organizations around here that you can reach out to because uh-huh. I know that's a really overwhelming thing to be like, just try it. Just go to a job. It doesn't yeah. always work like that. But we've got the Department of Developmental Disabilities with tons of resources. Um, and I just... I really encourage that, but I more more so I really encourage a lot of thought within that individual and having mm-hmm. time to talk about it. And I think, you know, it, it does say their options are simply more limited. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a mindset that we can just like get away yeah. from. And simply because I'm of the mindset that you can put a support in place, you can put an intervention in place that will allow them to do some aspect of that job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, working for the bio department is hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard. But he got it in three times working there yeah. because we had the supports in place. So I feel like I feel like it seems more limited, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. It's more of a we exactly. as able-bodied yes. people are limiting what we think somebody that's can do. That's exactly it. Yes. Okay. That's exactly what that I mean. That makes so much more mm-hmm. sense. I know. I, I talk a lot and I'm just like, hope that I get to my point. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> I was like, because before this, I was like, oh, like, what can differently abled people do? You know. And then I was like, no, no. It's such a common thing to think, though. You know? Yeah. Because, and it goes back to the productivity thing. If you don't yeah. look like you're going to be productive, yeah. what value do you have in a workplace? Yeah. I obviously don't think that. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) So, Allie asked, are there any skills or advice that you regularly teach your students that could benefit a larger audience? Allie, I loved this question because, yes, we teach, like, basic communication skills, Uh so, like, eye contact and not turning your back to the Mm -hmm. person. And I just feel like in my daily life, (laughs) nobody knows how to communicate appropriately, it seems. And I... I'm going to sound like a mom, but it's like, we're always on our phones. We're not looking yeah. at anybody. <laughs> so I, I feel like if someone were like to sit in on my class, they'd be like, oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe I should face that person when I talk. Yeah. So I think that's one that could benefit a larger audience. <laughs> Just like any social communication skill. Yeah. People are awkward. Yeah. We all can be less awkward. We can all work on our soft skills. Absolutely. All the time. I love that you used that term, <laughs> soft skills. So Hayden asked, what have you learned from the students that help that, oh my gosh, what have you learned from the students that you help transition to college? Um, I have learned resiliency. Mm-hmm. It's hard. You, I just sit with a kid for like 45 minutes before he would get up, just get up from his seat. Mm-hmm. But he stuck with what he wanted. Mm-hmm. So as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> that's great. You know, he's resilient. Yeah. Determination, just watching them like set these goals that they really want to achieve Mm -hmm. and doing it. And I know it's because we're making them in a way, but it's also like... (laughs) But they're like actually doing it. They're doing it it and they're learning and it's just really, it's really cool. It's empowering for me. (laughs) And then just like on a different note, I have to do so many things at once. So Uh I've learned how to 
multitask with less anxiety, I guess. Yeah. I'm a very anxious person, but <laughs> there's like 25,000 things to do per day, so I just yeah. have to deal with it. You seem like so organized, though, from like your office and your Thank notes. You. That's Why is your research important? Important to like you mm -hmm. and to other people? I think um, it's important to me because I love what I do, and I think mm -hmm. it can be a really cool agent for change. Um, and I think that in a larger sense, too, I think that's why it's important. Mm -hmm. We want everybody to live a fulfilling life. <laughs> it's it's so easy to take for granted that we know how to make decisions and we mm -hmm. can, you know, use our hands and think we yeah. just take everything for granted. And so I just want individuals with disabilities to have access to whatever life they want. So I think that's yeah. why the research is important. And this book, I mean, the book that Christy wrote, Mm -hmm. is so detailed about, like, even, like, the toughest student that you think you could never mm -hmm. help, there's there's interventions in there. So yeah. it just, like, is really cool to learn that kind of thing because yeah. it can be really scary sometimes and uh -huh. it's hard, but it's worth it. Yeah. I definitely, like, from research that I had to do for my capstone mm -hmm. and stuff, like, figuring out a situation that someone's going through and figuring out the interventions yeah. for how to support them in that yeah. has like changed the way that I interact with oh, other amazing. people outside yeah. of that. So like, are, do you also get that kind of oh, yeah. feeling from this? Yes. It's changed who I am as a human being. Like, yeah. I, I mean, constantly I'm saying like, okay, let's give you choices. So like, <laughs> do you want to get up? Yes or no. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's all choice based. So I, I find myself doing that like with my friends or my husband. Yeah. It's just like, how I communicate now, which goes back to the communication yeah. piece. But yes, it's completely changed my outlook yeah. on everything. I feel like that's kind of amazing. It is. Like when, when you learn something and it makes you feel like a better person. It's... So what kind of impact do you think what you've learned can have? And what like by having other people learn what you've learned, mm -hmm. like what? I think the whole world would be better. <laughs> I think we would know, we would have like, better coping mechanisms uh -huh. ourselves but all because you see an individual with a disability work their way through something uh -huh. in a way that we don't do yeah so it's just like you could learn new coping mechanisms but it's also like I think I think the larger impact is I keep going back to it but it's so important mm -hmm. individuals taking control of their lives you know yes. and like if we have the skills to be uh -huh. able to teach that or empower them to do that then that's like exactly what we should yeah. be doing it's yeah it's amazing oh god i feel like i could cry <laughs> oh no this is so crazy i feel like every time by like the point where i ask like that like half of the people that i've talked to so far are like i just like there are times where i want to cry it's it's and so I'm like, true oh my god you're this is like the job for you it makes me happy that i can feel this much about it yeah so like because i have friends that work for places that I know they don't really care about. Yeah. And they don't seem happy. And I'm like, find your passion. <laughs> you can do this. Yeah. I just want everybody to feel it. Yeah. And, like, I can definitely tell by the way that you're, like, <laughs> thanks. Talking <laughs> that you're so passionate about it. Uh, I love it. Um, so what impact do you hope your research has or you have? My goal, this is, like, a very lofty goal, but mm -hmm. I'm trying to gather as much information in my practice and my job to eventually be a professor. I would love to be a uh -huh. college professor. Um, and disseminate. So, like, I'm going to keep going back to this, but, like, I hope that 
I'm able to transfer knowledge to other people. Yeah. And with that knowledge, they're able to live more empowered <laughs> yes. lives that they control. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah. That's I feel like important. you're already kind of, like, getting there because of working so with, cool. like, other with the student teachers and it, yeah and that's yeah. an interesting like part of this job is there are so many moving parts and like yeah. so many other people that are coming in who don't have any experience yeah. with these individuals so like even from day one to day two you see a huge difference in yeah. them because I think I understand that it can be really really scary mm-hmm. you know but it's really cool to see them go from like I'm terrified to like I can do this. I know what I'm doing. This mm-hmm. is just a person. So yeah. I love that. I think that's a pretty big impact. Yeah. And Honestly. like, again, you're like empowering someone to live their own yeah. life. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, so do you have a favorite resource about what you do that you could point people to? Like a, a book or an organization yeah. or like a documentary? So a lot of people already know about Visionaries and Voices. Mm-hmm. Um, that is like... Every time I hear Visionaries and Voices, I get excited. They're such a great resource. They do so much community outreach. It's just like, if you're someone with a disability that wants to be involved in our community, that's such a great place to go. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I do like, so I love Visionaries and Voices. It's so amazing. It's just. It's like so cute to walk in there too. And I'm like, you know, it just like calms me. Yeah. But it makes me happy. It's so time. fun. Visionaries and Voices is a nonprofit organization that supports artists with disabilities and works to build a more inclusive art community in the Cincinnati area. Their goal is to provide the artists with professional, creative, and educational opportunities and a place for them to exhibit and celebrate their creativity with the community. They host classes and gallery shows at their two studio spaces and sell and exhibit works by their artists at their storefront learning studio and shop, The Visionarium. They're really doing some amazing work in the Cincinnati area if you're local and want to support them. So I have a really excellent art sticker of Pickleless Cage in my notebook that I got at their retail store. Um, This book is like the holy grail as far as Mm -hmm. I'm concerned. Um, it's called Facilitating Evidence-Based Practice <laughs> for Students with ASD, which is Autism Spectrum Disorder. Okay. Um, so, yeah. I use those. And then I'm trying to think. I read a book in college. It was a collection. And it was called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. Mm-hmm. And it's – I don't love that title, I will <laughs> say. But it's from the perspective of a child psychologist. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, psychology – goes into this Mm -hmm. in a major way. So I I read that and it really, uh, I think it gives you a fuller picture of like human beings Mm -hmm. as a whole. And I think that's really important when you're doing work like this. It's not just about reaching a goal. What's their home life like? What are they they eating? Like that gave me a a better perspective, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then are there any things that you wish people would know that would make your life so much easier? Do you have like myths you want to bust or just facts that you like find yourself repeating over and over yeah. again it's okay so I, I think I even wrote this down mm-hmm. I don't hear a lot but I mm-hmm. see everything yeah and you can see a person like shrink away as soon as they see one of our individuals and it's understandable mm-hmm. but I think it, it it plays into this larger thing it's not just fear it's like mm-hmm. they don't belong there or something yeah and that's super like it's really disappointing because it's like they're living in this world the same way we are. It comes from ignorance, and I know that. Mm-hmm. And then you get a lot of, like, 
okay, so I'll make up a kid. It's like, okay, Sam, go um, go to your landscaping job. We'll be out there in a second. And someone will be like, wait, can he can he go out there? Like, can he do that? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of just like having to tell people that they're humans, yeah. which I don't love, but also that they're capable. Yeah. Of anything. Yeah. And yeah. People yeah. of substance, they're people of value. Yeah. They deserve understanding. And they're just differently able. Exactly. Exactly. See, that's such a yeah. better way to put it. Yeah. And I, so, yeah, I think the myth is that they can't do certain things when they absolutely can. Yeah. Um, okay. So what gets you so hyped to do your work, especially when you're feeling overwhelmed by all of it? <laughs> that's it. It's so many, like, little things at mm-hmm. all, all the time. And yeah. I know I've said the phrase self-determination like 65 times. <laughs> no, it's so important though. It, it, and the moment that you see someone who has been told what to do, when to do it, how to do it their mm-hmm. whole life, make it the simplest choice. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it blows me away every mm-hmm. single time. I hope I never yeah. like lose that feeling. Yeah. A kid, I have to stop saying kid. A student would choose to use the elevator instead of the stairs and that's like huge. And it, yeah. yeah. Little things like that. That's so amazing. <laughs> What what makes you excited to learn more? I think the fact that like I will never learn all of it. So <laughs> because there's just like yeah. so 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 much. And I my boss Christy, her name her name's Christy Carnahan, and mm-hmm. she is absolutely brilliant. And I, mm-hmm. I I want to learn how I'm excited to eventually maybe have the knowledge that she has. Yeah. Because I could have tried everything in my brain mm-hmm. to help a student. And none of it worked. And then I go to her and she's got 25 more suggestions. And they all work, you know? Yeah. She just has so much knowledge. So, like, I'm excited to learn more, to be a resource, to be a facilitator for change, all of it. And just, like, there is never going to be an end to learning, which is amazing. Yeah. I love to learn. (laughs) Yay, that's so good. (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, you could already be somebody's, like, holy grail mentor. And you just don't know. I'll pretend like I am. Yeah. I believe you. <laughs> so is there anything exciting coming up? We are starting fall semester on the 26th of August. So it's like coming in hot here. <laughs> but it's I'm so, so excited to just like jump in. Yeah. See if I can do a full, you know, 50 student semester. Yeah. That's really exciting. We have the Impact um, Associates next door. They have an art show on Wednesday. I think that's it. Those, I mean, I'm always excited about everything, yeah. but those are the big I ones. I mean, yeah. So where can people find the work that you do? So the students themselves create mm-hmm. like a, a 12-week project, basically a, a presentation. Mm-hmm. So we do poster board presentations with all 50 plus school districts and families mm-hmm. and community members. Anybody can come. Yeah. But it's probably the best way to view it just because it's mm-hmm. them telling you about it. It's yeah. their experience. But also, we have, I put it on here, the um, ATS Instagram. So it's, mm-hmm. you can put it in there or whatever. Okay. Um, but that updates everything about, like, us at CEASE, Impact, and TAP. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way you can see, like, events that are coming up and the work that we do. Advancement and Transition Services at the University of Cincinnati's Instagram is at ATS underscore UNIV. C-I-N-C-Y. I'm going to link all of the accounts that Sarah mentions from here on out in the show notes on my website. But 
it's hard to say like you can look here to see what I'm doing. Yeah. Because a lot of it's private because they're students. Yeah. So I have like homeroom photo share yeah. where we post everything, but I yeah. can't show you that. These are like their like big updates. Exactly. Like here's all of the amazing things our students are doing. Exactly. And you can just ask me. Yeah. People can just ask. Yeah. I have, you know, if you want to see something or know something, I'm here. Yeah. So, Chit chat. So if you feel comfortable with sharing, uh, where can people find you on social media and hear more about if you, if they have more burning questions? It's funny, too, because I post <laughs> about this, I feel like, a lot. So my Instagram name is weird, but it's Sriracha Baloney. Because my name's Sarah Maloney. It makes yeah. sense. But it's Sriracha.Baloney. So okay. it's public. You can look at it. I've... <laughs> I don't post anything specific to students, obviously, yeah. but I post a lot of bigger picture stuff, so... Mm-hmm. Check it out. You also post a lot of pictures of your cat, and I'm obsessed with her. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kevin, my husband, just texted me and was like, she's being really cute right now. And I was like, great. <gasps> I'm not there. I love her. I keep thinking I'm going overboard with the cat, but then I'll have, like, you said her. something, Colin said something. Uh, I can't post enough pictures of her. She's so cute. Thank you again to Sarah for taking time to talk to me and then also taking time to recreate that meme of two Spider-Men pointing at each other while we shouted compliments at each other while we walked to our cars. All of the links to all of the nonprofit groups that Sarah mentioned, as well as links to ATS's social media resources and more are available on my website, which is mmuir.com slash research. WeSearch is made possible with the help of donations from listeners like you. You can pay me for the work that I'm doing by going to patreon.com slash WeSearch. You can donate as little as a dollar a month and receive nice little bonuses like unedited episodes of the show. I also let my patrons choose a topic for me to research some fun facts on at the end of every episode. This week's fact was chosen by Keely, who asked me to take a deep dive into Allison. Allison, spelled A-L-L-I-C-I-N, <laughs> not the name Allison, is the scent compound in garlic that gets released when you crush it. So why? Allison is what helps garlic to combat pests, microbes, and fungi that may hurt its growth out in nature. There's research being done on whether or not it can reproduce those same effects in humans, but garlic has been used in alternative medicines throughout history Allicin is a volatile compound, which means that it will break down and not work after a somewhat short amount of time. This is how you can know that garlic is fresh because it will give off a strong garlicky smell when you crush it. Letting garlic rest after it's crushed will allow more Allicin to develop in response to the garlic being attacked. (laughs) So the magic of crushing garlic to release Allicin can be felt via the internet by watching Bon Appetit's It's Alive with Brad videos, whose passion for Allison has really sparked a deep love of garlic in me, personally. And it's also just kind of a delightful show if you're into fermentation and food science. The theme music for this show was done by Alex Brown. A link to more of his music is in the episode description. And thanks for listening to WeSearch. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. I'm currently working to share my excitement about learning with as many people as possible and hoping that I can help build research literacy along the way. If you're a researcher and want to share your work or you're just very excited about learning and want to talk about it, please reach out to me. 
You can email me at wesearchpod at gmail.com or follow the show on Instagram or Twitter at wesearchpod. Bye!